0: This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. And by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com Andrew for answers to help protect your next. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Farmers are often looking for multiple revenue streams. I'll take you to a Nebraska farm that took some of their conservation reserve ground and created a nationally recognized golf course. Plus, in this week's edition of our show, we'll share ideas that you can implement to help your community thrive. Those are our topics for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Farmers have faced many challenges regarding nitrogen needs for their corn crop in recent years, but I've used Pivot BioProven 40 for the past four seasons on my corn to give it the nitrogen it needs no matter the weather. And now that predictability is available right on the corn seed, Pivot BioProven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant It's the first on seed nitrogen and all U.S. corn growers have access to the game-changing technology. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to the corn plant all season long. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. And this week's show brought to you by Nationwide. You know that besides hosting these shows, of course, I'm a farmer and rancher, and like me, you probably have insurance and maybe you don't give it much thought after you've made that purchase. And that can be a problem if you aren't protected. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one farm insurer in the U.S. Founded by farmers nearly a century ago, they're committed to keeping us safe and protected. They helped me see a lot of what I'd overlooked. Are you protected from a ransomware attack? Have you covered the bases when it comes to passing your farm to the next generation? We've created short videos to answer these questions and many more. Just go to Nationwide.com Andrew. That's Nationwide.com Andrew, where I host short videos on many topics to help us see what we may have overlooked. Whether you are a golfer or not, I think you'll enjoy this week's lead story. The Anderson family has been farming in northeast Nebraska for several generations. Some of the ground is in the Missouri River bottom and some in the hills. We did this interview on top of one of those hills that was in the Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP, for many years. But today, some of those acres are part of a new enterprise that has perhaps exceeded what the family could have ever imagined. I'll let Bryce Anderson take it from here. Take me back to the history of this farm. You've been farming here for quite a while, but how many, how far back do we go with this farm?
1: Well, I'm third generation. My son is fourth generation. And my respective grandfathers, maternal and fraternal, came from Germany and Denmark. And uh, late 1800s to early 1900s when they immigrated into this country. And uh, we have... Uh, basically, you know, been here doing this for what I would consider a long time, and uh, we hope that we're able to continue doing this.
0: We should describe, well we're up in the hills now, a lot of your farm would be second bottom, bottom ground, what would you call it here?
1: Oh, our our operation is about half and half. We have the river valley, which is mostly flat ground, which is down to our east, and uh, half the ground we farm is there. Half the ground we farm is up in the uplands, basically, up here, which are all lus Hills. And uh, the soil associations are totally different between the the bottom and the hill ground. The bottom ground, you know, tends to be all formed by the river and river channels over millions of years, I would assume. And uh, the, the hill ground, of course, was all carved out by glaciers once upon a time. And so consequently, we are Run across a little bit of Canadian rock up here once in a while. They got dropped in the countryside. Corn, soybeans, main thing? That is the main thing. Yeah, it's a monoculture, and we, we hope something different comes along someday. <laughs> but uh, for the meantime, that's where the markets are. And that's what we need to do.
0: Talk about the farm that we're sitting on now. We'll get to golf in
1: a moment, but you farmed this ground, right? For a very short period of time. This ground, as you can see, if you look up and down the what we call the bluffs here, which are on the edge of the river valley, they're all trees. When settlers first got here, this was all grassland. There were no trees except along creeks and river bottoms and that sort of thing. But, uh, and that was because there were periodic wildfires and it eliminated all the tree growth. When you look at the old pictures from a long time ago, all of the towns that were first established here there were no trees around any of them. And it was only after the settlers got here and stopped the wildfires that we had this growth. Well, we bought this ground, it's about 650 acres, uh, back in the mid 80s, right about the time of the farm crisis. And uh, this property in particular was covered mostly with trees and sumac and small patches of pasture. And because my father had done a lot of tree clearing on the bottoms along the river after the dams were built and the water levels went down. This was kind of his last project to clear this ground and to, well, at the, at that point in time, we did farm it for about three years. And then the CRP program came around and we were still experiencing vestiges of the farm crisis. And we thought, well, it would be better just to put it in CRP at that point in time and that's what it's been in for over 30 years now is just grassland which you know from a nostalgic point of view it was kind of nice to take it back to the way it was originally and uh, that's why we have maintained it that way through the years. So you had this ground in CRP
0: ground then what begins to happen to say well if we could take it out of CRP and not farm it but golf it?
1: <laughs> this has been a long process. My son, who is basically a scratch golfer, has been pressing for the last ten years to do something along the lines of build a golf course. And We had several properties that we could look at with the potential for doing that. We ended up on this property mainly because when we thought about building a golf course here, uh, the bottom line is there are plenty of golf courses in the Sioux City area. They don't really need any more golf courses. If you're going to build something like this, you need to do something unique, something different that will separate you more or less from the competition. In looking at the different properties, this one offered us the best opportunity to build something that was unique, that was different than everything else around here. And that's why we settled on this piece of property. That being said, we probably worked with five different golf design firms and for the most part they did not encourage us to try something like this and uh, that's largely because we had to move a tremendous amount of dirt Uh, the hills are extremely extreme here and very sharp valleys and, and high pointed hilltops so in order to make a walkable golf course you basically had to fill in some valleys and take down some hills to make it walkable. And that is one of the things that's going to, we hope down the road, make this more of a unique course in the fact that uh, we're going to encourage people to walk out here. The typical golfer doesn't around it in, in this demographic doesn't want to walk. They want a cart. And my son being younger, and I'm not sure that he's totally on point on this. He thinks that there are enough people around here that will be willing to walk that uh, that might be sustainable for this golf course. That being said, next year he's going to institute a caddy program out here, which will encourage more people to walk the course. My son and I don't agree on 100% of things, and all of the people I talk to don't want to walk, but he's convinced that they will. Well, he was convinced about a lot of things that I was wrong about, Uh, For example, building this course in this spot was a difficult decision because of the amount of work and the expense that was involved in it. And my son, being the purist that he is, was convinced that we could build a course, not build a residential development around it, and still make it economically viable. So far, he's been proven right.
0: This was, though... I mean maybe it's a labor love but this was a business decision though too is that right
1: (laughs) not totally Uh, this is a piece of ground that i never wanted to ever farm again as you get older you get more conservation minded and that was always in the back of my head this is not a piece of ground that should be farmed in my opinion and uh, that being said there's plenty of ground in this area like this that is being farmed but when you get older you look at things a little bit differently. And I was looking for any way possible that we could utilize this property without farming it. And uh, we're not livestock people, so pasture isn't anything that would really be beneficial for us. And when he came up with the idea of putting a golf course up here, that, cried, that checked a lot of boxes for us. And that's why we did this. And, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint, Nobody builds a golf course without building houses around it. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted, my son in particular, (laughs) wanted golf for golf's sake. And so everything here is geared toward that. We are never going to be a residential area as long as we're able to stave that off. And uh, we just want it to be destination golf that uh, is unique will give people an experience that they can't have at most places, and so far it's working out.
0: I suppose you, of course, wanted it to do well, but have you been surprised at how this thing has taken I've off? Been I mean, people are, I've yeah.
1: been astounded, I've been astounded. We opened tea times on New Year's Eve for this year, and this is the first full season we've had. Within about a day, over 90% of the tea times were gone for the entire year. So. The reception has been tremendous. The feedback from the golfers has been off the charts. Uh, I I can't really say that I have ever had a negative comment about what, what we have done here. And that's because we have 18 holes that are totally unique. No one hole is like any other hole out here. It is an experience that you're not going to find anywhere else.
0: Well, that's the draw. I mean, do you have anything, do you think, that's We even haven't had
1: this? We haven't had enough reviews and raters out here yet to really establish that unique quality about this. Uh, there have been quite a few. We were open for one month last year, and that was only at the behest of the designers who wanted raters to come out here and look at this and review the course and start to publicize you know some of that so there's been a smattering of that yeah actually quite a bit but uh we've had enough reviews that in the golf week magazine we came in in the top 26 public and private courses in the entire country oh. and that's all after only being open for a matter of months so as time goes by and more people see this there will i assume be a lot more positive feedback on it.
0: People still drive up the lane where you've got farm equipment down at the bottom of the hill. It's still a farm all around it, correct?
1: Uh, that's another area where my son and I have some disagreement. <laughs> I, I prefer to see him clean up some of the trash around here, but he has this idea uh, sort of that we need to keep some semblance of an aura of a farm environment around here, and I, I don't agree with that. but. Uh, <laughs> I have to defer to him because this is his undertaking. Talk about the name of the course because that has significance. Landman, uh, that is the Danish word for farmer. And we debated about how to name this course for a short time. We looked into various possibilities and uh, that was my favorite. So that was the one place where my son deferred to my judgment for a, sh- for a change. <laughs> now, whether that's a good idea or not, I don't know, but it has it has some meaning for us, yeah. you know.
0: Even though the tea times fill up, I understand you've got farmer members. I mean, the goal is to keep this public and hopefully farmers can come play on a course that's named after a farmer in a sense.
1: That was the idea. You know, we, uh, we de- debated that whole business Uh, business type for a while whether to be private or whether to be public but uh, you know quite honestly we're not country club people here I've spent my life on the farm and all of my forebears and then there was a concern about uh, well how much business are we going to have would you turn away anybody by being private and because we had so little experience in this we thought we need to make this available to everybody that wants to come and golf, and uh, I, I still think that's the right decision on that. Yeah. Uh, I really don't want to, this to be a private club, so to speak. You want anybody to come that is able to. Well, let's wind up with this. Uh, I guess you take
0: joy in seeing what's going on here. I mean, it's uh, something unexpected, but yet it's something that draws a lot of people and hopefully in some enjoyment.
1: We're we're four years into the process of building this. We've got another couple of years of work at least to do. And uh, this turned out to be much better than anything I ever expected. I've just been astounded by the job that the designers, uh, King and Collins, did on this particular course. My son had a lot of input into that. And uh, I think that was probably as good a thing as You could expect there are numerous stories about the original design was laid out, but then it was by the seat of their pants. Each hole, exactly how to contour, how to lay it out, where to make it difficult, where to put the risk, where to put the reward. Uh, And my son had a lot to do with that uh, because, well, he just understands what his particular demographic of people are looking for, and. uh, You know the the designers are responsible for 90% of this layout but my son did have an impact on exactly how it was finished out and I'm not going to start on those stories because there are a lot of them (laughs) as they debated how to design each hole and how difficult to make it and uh, there there are just a lot of ingredients that go into this. Well, I appreciate the time, appreciate
0: you sharing part of the farm and the golf course with us.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming here <laughs> more than anything.
0: In the second half of this week's show, I visited with Michael Wagler, Main Street, Iowa State Coordinator at the Iowa Economic Development Authority. Perhaps you've heard of Main Street programs, but whether you consider yourself an active member of your local community or more of just a sideline spectator, the ideas Michael shares, especially about a couple of towns in Iowa, may just give you some thoughts about what you could do in an ag-based community. Here's our conversation. Just tell people in general, what is a a Main
2: Street program? Because some won't know what that really means. Excellent, well the Main Street program is really a grassroots economic development program that focuses the uh, development efforts of a community on downtown as a catalyst for the community revitalization effort. So what types
0: of things, and I know that is huge, but what types of things in general are these types of groups then doing?
2: Yeah, local revitalization projects are really encompassing a broad range of of, of efforts. So really when we think about this comprehensively, it's taking on uh, development of historic buildings. It's bringing small businesses in or supporting small businesses. But a lot of what our communities are working on right now is upper floor housing. It's how bringing people not only to the community but to the downtown creates economic feasibility for those property owners in the district it raises the value of the property and increases the value of the community but in just as importantly for those businesses that are locating there now or could locate in the future those upper floor residents create a customer base to strengthen the community from its heart
0: if people are listening to this and they say well hey I, I like my town i want to support my town but maybe i have an interest in investing in my town
2: what kind of resources or things are out there so they can kind of tap into that then? Yeah, I think one of the easiest resources to do if if you just have no place to start is connect with your local city administrator, city manager, city clerk, or chamber of commerce to really learn about if there are um, things going on in your community already. From a statewide perspective, reaching out to Uh, the State Economic Development Agency or the Department of Commerce, we're really given opportunity for some of the resources that are available from a state perspective. But what I oftentimes tell people is the first thing to do if you want to get interested in in community development or making your community a better place, pick up a trash bag, go pull some weeds, uh, pick up some trash, wash some windows, or most importantly, support the small businesses that are already in those areas that you want to see better. Um, because that in the end is going to create that strength, that relationship, and that synergy to move forward.
0: I'm curious, we're thinking more about maybe ag in rural areas, small
2: towns, what yeah. are the biggest challenges right now you think facing them? I think a lot of the, 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 the challenges facing small communities strangely align a lot with what we're facing statewide. Um, housing is the buzzword that we hear in every single community from that perspective. A lot of times when we look at a smaller community there that is more agriculture based, the economy is gonna ebb and flow with that agricultural reality from a year to year basis based on the weather, what the crop prices are, what the environment is from a global perspective. And so when you look at the community revitalization efforts, oftentimes that ebbs and flows with the economic reality from that perspective. So then it comes back to building maintenance. It's the reality that we have a lot of, we may have a lot of vacancy in our downtown, whether that be on the first floor or the second floor. And really the, the reality of of, of trying to be creative about the opportunities to pull those realities in rather than just kind of sitting and moaning about the vacancies that exist well i know one of the the kind of the, the spectrums that you were looking at is rural communities and and how things are getting done are right. kind of some of those exciting uh, so two communities that I, I was starting to brainstorm this morning, um, one was Woodbine, Iowa. Woodbine's a town of about 1,500 people. It's in western Iowa. Woodbine was a community that literally was dying. It was the opportunity of the population decline. They still had an independent school district that was in decline. They used the Main Street program and the downtown revitalization efforts to really focus their efforts on a defined area. They added businesses that aligned with the agricultural economy that they have, like farm-to-table restaurants, um, butchers that partnered with local lockers uh, to come in. They added upper-floor housing and targeted farm families that were leaving the farm for whatever reason but didn't want to leave the community, didn't want to worry about a yard to mow or anything along those lines. So the upper floors of downtown Woodbine became the recipient of so many residents uh, that had the opportunity to, to leave the community, which opened the door for that ecosystem of housing Now they're to a point where they're creating partnerships with their school to add STEM opportunities. Their school enrollment is increasing. They just completed a multi-million dollar recreational facility. And right now they just approved 45 new housing lots in a community of 1,500. So Woodbine in Iowa, we call it the Woodbine Effect. It's really inspired other communities to say, you know what, what's Woodbine doing? How are they doing it? And if they could do it, so could we. Um, The other community that uh, I think has really had some great momentum and energy recently is Bloomfield, Iowa. It's a town of about 2,500. It's the county seat of Davis County. It's a community that is highly agricultural. They've done a really good job recently of developing leaders in the community that are going beyond thinking or or complaining about what could happen to really stepping into a role of making things happen. They're doing a great job of, of really nurturing local people with means to take them into a world of how can they be investing into their community investing into the real estate of their community and right now you're seeing uh, projects of of 500 and 750 thousand dollars that are being completed by people who are not traditionally interested quote unquote interested in downtown But the cool thing is is their local Main Street program is also recognizing that not every project is gonna be $700,000. That there are some really small scale improvements that make big impact in their downtown district. So the, the, the city and the Bloomfield Main Street program partnered together to create a small scale facade program. It's $500. Uh, a project, so it's projects that include paint or signs or, or storefront improvements that are making huge impacts incrementally throughout the downtown. So it's this really cool community that's really looking at how they're investing in themselves, seeing impact, telling the story, and starting that process over again.
0: What is it, do you think, that makes success stories like that happen? Because they happen in some
2: places and they don't others, and some people will say, well, that can never happen here. So what makes them happen? Yeah, to me, I think there's two kind of reasons. Um, One relates to a community that reaches some sort of breaking point, whether that's a, a school closing, a school consolidation, a major employer who leaves where everyone collectively starts to feel the trauma of the change that's happened over the course of time. But once something happens, all of a sudden it snaps us into place to say, holy cow, things have changed dramatically. Now we have to do something. And to me, that gets people into a mode of really thinking outside of the box of where they thought over the last... Fifty years. The other side is, is I think it's new perspective. I think a lot of times it's people who have uh, grown up in a certain place, they've gone off to other places, they've got ideas, they've come back to the community for whatever reason, and they bring those fresh perspectives into the community that I think has the ability to jolt the leadership to say, you know what, maybe we can think about the old school as a business incubator maybe we can think about those upper floors as cool loft apartments or that restaurant space that's been vacant maybe if we partner with farmers to bring people in that could happen so it's that new perspective but it's also that breaking point sometimes together and sometimes independently that really changes the success the trajectory
0: if you're interested in learning more about what michael shared go to mainstreetamerica.org for more ideas Another resource is our totaltownmakeover.com website, where shows about rural communities doing great things. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways on many local radio stations, on your favorite podcast platform, or at farmingthecountryside.com, where you can go back and search your archives for other shows and topics of interest. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com and by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com Andrew for answers to help protect your next.